if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be looking in just a little bit at this passage that we saw from earlier, 1 Corinthians 12. If you don't have one, um, there are some Bibles that are in the seats near you, and that's on page 959. So if you wouldn't mind opening to that, or if you have maybe a, a phone or an iPad that you use for things like this, again, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 in just a second. Before we get started, let me pray. So, Father, we do indeed pray now that you would come and fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would fall on us, that you would be our guide, your word, our teacher, and, Lord, that we would be able to behold more of you in the life that you've invited us into. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it is great to see you all here this morning. It's a great day for us to be able to be together. We're very grateful to have you if you are a visitor. For those of us that are regulars here, it's just great to be able to worship together. It's also really exciting to clearly have the, the baptisms for a little tea and for Sanders that we're going to be having as soon as the sermon is over. We're really looking forward to that. I just want to say, as, as great a day is today and as exciting as it is, I'm also very aware that for some of the people in our church family today and even the last several weeks have been an unusually unusually hard time. And let me explain what I mean by that. Some of y'all know that this afternoon they're having the service for the man Nathan Germeinhardt, the, the man here in Birmingham that went missing, I think it's three weeks ago tomorrow. And if you don't know the details, he, uh, didn't sh- he went off to work on a Monday morning, didn't arrive at his uh, meet the teacher meeting that morning where I believe he was meeting with his wife and and his daughter's new kindergarten teacher. She was starting at a new school. That was a surprise, and they knew something was wrong, so they started looking for him. Some of you that are connected to this church family were a part of that. People were looking around town, and he couldn't be found. And then comes the news the next day. They had found his car, and unfortunately, it was near an abandoned house that had been set on fire. And as the fire uh, was put out that night, early, early Tuesday morning, there was a body that was found inside of it. And not too long after that, they did confirm it was indeed him. Some of you all here were very close with him. Some of you all know people that know him, but you don't have to know them, their family to know, or their church family for that matter, the last three weeks have been incredibly hard. It's just one example. Another example, um, actually just a day before that he had gone missing, uh, Frank's cousin is driving on a two-lane road up in North Carolina, has a collision with another vehicle, and loses his life on the scene, as I understand it. 31 years old, had his whole life ahead of him. And gone, just like that. Now, there are some things in life that it seems like nobody should have to go through. Nobody. Some of them, they just seem to come out of nowhere. Nobody sees these coming. It's kind of like if you look at that gospel reading that we had for us earlier, and and the tower that Jesus was asked about that falls down on these people, we would imagine 
No one was expecting this that day. You get it happened. There are just some things in life that are so hard. We wake up on a given day thinking it's a normal day. And we go to bed that night. And based on what's happened, we know our life has changed irrevocably. There will never be another day in our lives. That's the same. So some of these hard things we could never have seen coming, some of them we see coming from very far away. And that might be, for example, a a 10-year losing battle with cancer or someone that's really close to us that can't seem to find firm fitting, firm footing, I should say, in the the sands, the quicksand of addiction. They, They just can't seem to beat it. Or maybe a relationship, key relationship in our lives that's been dissolving for a number of years, if not decades. Now just take a deep breath. I know that's a heavy way to start this morning. And if you're visiting, you might wonder, what in the world did I get myself into coming to this baptism today? Here's what I want to say. The reason that we're highlighting those things is because there are a handful of people in this church family and even in this community who are experiencing in different ways right now one of the greatest, if not the greatest challenge that any of us could experience in life, and that's suffering. If you're a member here, you know that suffering isn't a subject that we ignore in our church family. This is something that we have talked about before. We talked about it about two years ago when we went through that series in the Book of Lamentations. If you were here for that, you might remember. We saw a couple things. One, everybody has to suffer. Nobody, as much as they want it, gets a pass. Nobody gets to skip it. And in the worst situations, one of the questions that we find ourselves asking, besides the obvious, why, is the how. How, God? How how am I going to go on from this? How do I... How do I get out of bed tomorrow morning? How? Now, I'm going to come back to that topic in just a second, but just uh, as an introduction to what we've been doing in this church family, we are in the third part of a four-part series that we've been in called Family Traits, where we're not thinking in this context about the biological family. We're thinking about being a church family. And what we've been doing is looking at different traits or values or you could say attributes that we know as we read the scriptures, God's calling us here at St. Peter's as a church family to press into, that we might be the church that he's calling us to be, and that the people that compose this church, the Christians, would be the disciples that he's calling us to be. So week one, we looked at the idea of worship, the role of worship in this. Two, discipleship. You want to learn more about those and the way that we were talking about them, I invite you, you can go on our website or you can go um, look at our, our uh, sermon podcast and subscribe to that. It might be helpful to, to locate yourself here in the series as we continue. Today, we're going to focus on this one that, again, we've talked about in the last couple of months, and that's the significance, biblically, of community. Community. God's calling St. Peter's to be not just a worshipful people and not just a disciple, a disciple-making people, but a connected people. Now, uh, 
I know we've talked about suffering a good bit if you've been a part of this. Some of y'all heard that reading from 1 Corinthians 12 and you went, here we go again. Here's what I want to say to you, if that's you. We're going to be, covering, we're going to be coming to this idea of community from a different angle this morning. And again, that's specifically through the lens and the experience that everybody has to go through of suffering. And I know that can sound really heavy. I think we're going to find as we open the scriptures that it can actually be really encouraging. And here's how. Anybody that suffered knows that what we, need, what we need most besides prayers is people. When we're in moments like this, we need other people. We need other people that are going to sit with us and cry with us and for us. Sometimes, y'all, if you've been in the situation, you know, we need people that can help us with the everyday kind of mundane things of life, like doing our laundry and meals. Sometimes we just need someone that's going to sit with us, especially if we're a Christian, that is going to hold our hand and is going to remind us, look, even if in this moment you can't believe, I'm going to believe for you. I am with you. We need all these things. And what we're going to see now as we start to open up the Bible together is that, according to the scriptures, Christians are meant to provide these things for each other. We're, we're, we're meant to be this for one another. We're meant to have access to these things so long as we're a part of Christian community. In fact, you look carefully at the way the Bible talks about these. It's almost as if you could put them in three different kinds of categories. And they all happen to start with S, just to make it easier to remember. Sympathy, support, and supernatural comfort. Sympathy, support, supernatural comfort. Some of y'all hear those and think, those all sound like the same to me. We're going to see they're not the same. They're actually distinct. It's what we're all meant to provide for each other as Christians, again, in community with each other. And when we have access to those, when we have that, what that does, we're going to see, is it does not make make our suffering just magically disappear. That's not how this works. But what those things can do is give us enough strength to do what seems like the impossible in those moments, which is make it to the next day. And then, with God's help, to the day after that, and the day after that, all because of the way that God's ministering to us through this thing that the Apostle Paul calls the body of Christ. So how do we be that for each other? What does it look like to have access to that in our church family? We're going to think about that now as we look at these three. So first, let's look at sympathy. Just think about that for a moment. And the ways, again, that we are to provide this for one another in the body. Might sound surprising for a lot of us, especially those of us here who might be a little bit more heady than heart. But one of the interesting things the Bible says that we're supposed to do for one another as Christians is we're supposed to feel for one another or with one another. If you actually look at the word sympathy, it comes from two Greek words meaning with feeling or feeling with. And the scriptures say clearly, this is what Christians do for each other. And if you're wondering, where is this coming from? Well, let's now look at this passage from 1 Corinthians 12 and, and see an example. Again, if you have your Bible, we're on 959 and the ones from your seats. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians 12 before, you should know this is one of the key passages where Paul is talking about Christian identity and, and specifically 
in relation to this thing that he calls the body of Christ. And basically he says this, you'll remember this, if you were here from several weeks ago, he says, look, if you're a Christian, you've got to remember, fundamentally, you are a smaller part of a much bigger whole. You, you cannot do the Christian life on your own. Trying to do that is like trying to be a, a, a football player without any other people on the team. Like you just can't do that conceptually because there's no way. That's just the way football's designed. Paul says that's the way the Christian life is designed. He uses this language of being members of one body. That's what he's saying here, if you have it in front of you, starting in verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And on top of that, it's not just that he says Christians are to be connected to each other. He then says, you're also to value each other. Everybody in the body is valuable. That's, that's what he's talking about in 21. If you have it in front of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So nobody in the body can look at anybody else in the body and say, you know what? We, there's no place for you here. We don't need you here. And if that's true, we know the inverse is true, that nobody can look at the body and say, you know what? Pardon me. Y'all don't really need me. Everyone is needed. That's why we've been talking about here, especially as we've been coming from this strange new world we've been living in the last two years, of the importance of everyone being here as regularly as possible as we gather regularly to, for worship. Because we're gathering as a body, and we've said, according to the Apostle Paul, every member matters. Now, we get down to 26, verse 26. It's almost like Paul says, look, you want to understand how connected y'all are supposed to be? and You want to understand how valuable everyone is? You've got to see it's so much so that you actually experience one another's highs and lows. I think in the order that he puts it, the lows and the highs. Verse 26, key verse. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What in the world is Paul talking about when he says, when, when someone's suffering, everybody suffers? You ever heard somebody say that old saying, a parent's only as happy as their least happy child? There's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? Those of y'all that have kids know there's a lot of truth to that. Why is that? Because we feel the things that our kids feel, don't we? It doesn't matter if they're six or they're 60. We feel it. If they win the state championship in, in football, you know, or soccer, we feel the euphoria of that. If they lose the championship, we feel the weight of that. You know, if our kid is elected class president, we're thrilled if, if they lose that election or if maybe they're having a hard time connecting with kids at school. We feel that too. It's hard. Why do we feel those things? Everybody knows the answer to that again because that's what the relationship is like. That, that's how connected you are as a parent to your child. And there's a sense in which Paul says it's supposed to be pretty similar with Christians. Hey, because we're members of the same body, we should be connected and so connected that we feel for one another. We feel with one another. 
because we're all members of the body. It's number one. Actually, let me, let, me, let me pause here and add this. For some of us, sharing about how we're doing, let's be honest, this does not come naturally. And for some of us, it's because of our personality. We are wired in such a way that even the people that are closest to us, if we are having a hard time, we do not naturally open up to them. Even if we're a Christian and there's some of our closest Christian friends, we're, we're worshiping together in the same church, we don't give voice to it. For some of us, it's not as much a matter of personality. It's more the way that we grew up. And we might have the impression based on how we were raised that if I'm a Christian or being a Christian, I should say, kind of means, no one ever would have said this, but we got this impression that I have to pretend that everything's okay. Now, if that's, uh, we should say that is not what Paul's talking about here because what he's saying here is because you're a part of the body, if you're suffering, other people need to know. Other people in some way need to know what you're going through so that they can suffer with you. And this is not just something that he says in 1 Corinthians 12. We, we see the expression of grief and mourning is all over the Bible. We saw in that reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, when it's talking about the fact that there is a season for everything and every matter under heaven, including a verse, verse four, there's a time to weep. So not just a time to laugh, but a time to weep. Or some of you know, in other places in Paul's writing, we see this in Romans chapter 12, 15. He says something pretty similar to what we're reading about today. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And what? Weep with those who weep. Now, you, you take those passages, you combine them with what we've been looking at in verse 26 from 1 Corinthians 12, and, for example, the whole book of Psalms. And what you see is that grief is a natural and appropriate part of the Christian life. And not only is it okay to grieve, we, we again, are meant to be so tightly connected to other people that the other people around us should know about it so they can be with us in it. That's the first one we want to look at, sympathy. Number two, or another way that we see Christians in the scriptures in community with each other, supporting each other in the context of suffering, and that's support. Support. And I know, as I say that, some of y'all are hearing, well, isn't um, uh, that first one that we're looking at, sympathy, isn't that really the same as support? Not necessarily, because as we look at this, uh, the, Paul, the kind of support that Paul's talking about here is, is not just the idea that Christians should suffer with each other, but also in a sense that they should suffer for each other. And that's especially the way that they might help each other with practical kinds of needs. If you've read much of the New Testament before, you know it talks in all kinds of different ways about the fact that Christians take care of each other. You go to a book like 1 Timothy, all over the place it's talking about taking care of widows. Or you go to a place like Acts, chapter 2, you read about the early church, they are taking care of each other, they're selling their possessions, real estate so much in verse 45, it says that there was no need. Everyone had everything that they needed. There's another place, though, where similarly the Apostle Paul is writing about this, and he puts this so simply that it would be really easy for us to just 
gloss over it, and yet it's profound. And so I just want to read it out loud. You don't have to worry about turning to it because it's so short. He says this, Galatians 6.2, many of you know it, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There is a difference, isn't there, between someone sitting with us, crying with us, giving us a hug, and and those are all good and important things, but there's a difference between those things and someone coming alongside us, taking off a burden that was on us and carrying it for some period of time. Now, you look at the word in the Greek, forbearing, it can mean to suffer, It also can literally mean to carry, and it it seems like that's probably what Paul's talking about here. Why would we say that? We know it because the way, again, that that verse finishes. Again, Galatians 6.12 talks about it fulfilling the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what's that got to do with carrying anything? Again, on one hand, when he's talking about fulfilling the law of Christ, we know He's talking about this call not only to love God, but to love our neighbors as ourselves. If you're with us on a regular basis, we start our service with a reminder of that every week. And then where do we see the greatest fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about? Obviously, it's in Jesus himself, okay? And and Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 2.24. He also uses the language of bearing, but again, he's not talking about Christians bearing anything. He's talking about Jesus. Verse 24, he, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And obviously we know when when Peter's writing about the tree, he's writing about the cross. And what's he saying that Jesus did there? He's saying he bore our sins. He took them off of us He took them on himself. He took took the punishment that we deserve, the the punishment for even though that we were created for this great relationship with God, a perfect relationship where we would look to him as the king of the universe and we would look to him for a greatest sense of, of meaning and identity and purpose. None of us does those things. That's simply what the Bible calls sin. And we have turned from him. And yet at the same time, Jesus has said the consequences even the harsh language of Jesus in Luke 13, the judgment that you deserve, I will take that on myself. I will carry that myself. Or as Paul says in another place, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him sin to be no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now think about this, as we're we're trying to think about what the idea of, of burning one another's burden, bearing one another's burdens, because if that's the case, when Paul's talking about bearing each other's burdens, he's talking about more than crying with somebody. He has got to be talking about more than just providing emotional support. We know he's got to be talking about some sort of a sacrifice, because when somebody takes a burden off somebody else, if there's not a cost that comes to that, could we really say it was a burden on somebody else? No. There has to be a cost. There has to be some sort of a sacrifice. And as Christians, we know that burden bearing was exemplified above all in the person of Jesus. We do it. 
because of Jesus. Now, I want to give you an example of what this might look like in a church family. And I ask for Lauren's permission to share this. Some of y'all know in uh, 2020 and 2021, we experienced two miscarriages as a family. It was devastating. One of the hardest experiences anybody can go through. Many of you have been through that personally. I'm guessing all of us know someone that has, whether we're aware of it or not. And I want to say, as awful as those experiences were and as dark as they were, one of the glimmers of hope that we had was the way that y'all in this church family took care of us. You did it in different ways. You did it by making us meals. You didn't call and say, hey, can I bring one? Or, or, or what do you need? You, you just made it, you bought it, whatever you did, dropped it off on the door, shot us a text, hey, it's there. Some of y'all helped us by looking after our son, which was a huge help as we were trying to have the, the space to, to grieve and to be able to go to the doctor, help us get some time together. Now, here's the thing. Would any one of y'all that did those things, and again, we're very grateful, would anyone have said that those were the biggest burdens in the world to bear? Probably not. You know, just making a meal or looking after somebody's kid for a few hours. But if you've been through suffering, you know that those kinds of things are some of the most helpful, most, um, most relieving experiences, gifts, that we can receive. And that's because some of you all know that one of the worst things that can happen in suffering is the way that our, surf, our suffering is then compounded by, uh, or I should say our grief is compounded by practical needs. We're, we're in that fog where we can't tell which way's up. And there's still stuff that we gotta do. We gotta eat, we gotta decide what to eat to maybe make it. Or buy it. We've got to figure out what we're going to do with the kids. And someone coming alongside us and giving us the space to be together, to, to, to mourn, to even process what's going on is such, such a help. Now, remember, just want to add, they may not be the biggest gifts in the world. I mean, I'm sorry, the burdens. They still come at a cost to people. Those things came at a cost. We're, we'll, we're well aware of that. To, to go to the grocery store, to buy the food, to make a meal. Or maybe if you dropped off a meal that you bought from somewhere, the, the money for those, time. These are the most precious things that we have. And yet, people's willingness, your willingness to come alongside us and to pay those costs in our moments of sorrow and grief couldn't have meant any more. And, and it's not lost on us. Why did you do it? Not just because y'all are really nice people, though you are, and not just because your parents taught you to do things like that, though they might have. It's because you know this is exactly what Jesus did for you on a far, far, far bigger level on the cross when he bore the burden that you could never bear, taking on your sins, that you also might have life with him. So, that's our second one, sympathy, support, finally, supernatural comfort. And there's at least one more way here that we see in the scriptures that Paul says we, 
as the body, are to come alongside other people in the midst of their suffering. And that is offering to other people the kind of comfort that we can only experience in God himself. And where do we see this? This is coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So in 2 Corinthians 1, God's, I should say, Paul is writing about the kind of God that he is. One of the great things about him is that he is a God who comforts. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So he's a God who is here for us. He is uh, there all the time. He is with us with not just some of the things that we go through in everything, in all affliction, even the situations where we don't have a clue why he could allow the thing that we're going through to happen. And then listen to what he says is the purpose for this in the rest of verse four. So that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which with we ourselves are comforted by God. Now think about that. At least one purpose that the Apostle Paul says that God has for us in the midst of our suffering is so that we might then be able to go and comfort other people the ways that he has comforted us. Let me give an example of this. Some of y'all know Milner's husband was in the hospital several weeks ago. He was very sick, and I'd called her just to see how she was doing, they were doing, and, and to catch up. And I, I shared with her my, about our own experience where um, our son, just so you know, had been our, our um, son being baptized today. He was three months old at the time. Back in July, he was hospitalized for a week with RSV. We were, we were living there for a week, and it was kind of scary. And I said to her, you know, Milner, one of the greatest gifts in the midst of how difficult this was, was the fact that our church family was praying for us. And, you know, people, I said, always talk about saying they can feel our prayers. I said, I actually experienced what that was like. I know what, I know what that's like now. And she said, you know what, Brian? This, she then goes to make this observation. She says, it's, it's a really good thing that you experienced that. And so now, and in situations like mine or the situations of other people in this church family, when you reach out to them and in these situations, you know what it's like to be in need and you know what it's like to be comforted in this way. And I kind of had to laugh and I said, you know, Milner, I think there's something in the Bible about that. I think that's what Paul talks about. We all know there are situations in life that as Christians, we would never naturally choose to be in them on our own. If we were given the choice, you can go through this or you don't have to go through this, we would never do this. And at the same time, one of the things that God does is he works in them and through them sustains us so that we can comfort other people. Now, I want to think about the reason or the kind of why behind this this supernatural comfort for just a second or how this works even more in our individual lives. Because here's the thing. When it comes to these needs I was talking about at the beginning that we all have in the midst of suffering, not all of us needs all of these needs, has all of these needs equally. We're not all the same. For example, not all of us have the same emotional needs. Some of us, are, our personality is different. Our temperament is different. We don't need someone to sit with us and hold our hand or to hug us. We think those things are nice. They're, they're great gestures, but it doesn't mean the same, doesn't mean the same thing to us. And it's, it's not because we're cold-hearted people. We're, we're we're just not wired the same way. We're not as much feelers. Some of us, uh, maybe we're so secure financially that when life hits the fan, 
We just don't have the same amount of practical needs. And that's because, you know, frankly, when it comes to meals, we can order on DoorDash. We can hire someone in the gig economy to go do something for us. So we don't really need that as much either. But there is one possibility, there's one kind of need that everybody in this room is susceptible in the midst of suffering. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're a Christian or believe in Jesus. And that is the possibility of despair. Nobody in the midst of suffering wants to think that our suffering is meaningless. It can't be meaningless. That's why we ask that question, isn't it? Why? Why, God? Why would, why would you allow this to happen? Because we cannot bear, can we, the possibility that this is all just a matter of chance, and if only something different had happened, if only, you know, uh, the people flying out of Boston on September 11th maybe that person had gotten on a different flight, if maybe my husband had gotten on a different flight like that person, or if maybe my kid had been 10 minutes later and not been T-boned at that intersection, that red light by the drunk driver, maybe if that had happened, um, maybe I wouldn't be going through these things. We just, we don't want to believe in a, in a life like chance. We, we know that's not true. Everybody wants to know that our suffering is not wasted. And I want to add, by the way, if we're not a Christian, we, we have to acknowledge the reality. If there is no objective purpose to life, we have to say that in some degree, our suffering is meaningless. There's no redemptive purpose to it. And when we go through these sort of things, we've just got to acknowledge the universe is not holding our hand. The universe is not crying for us. But the Bible describes God in a very different way. And it says, if he is real and he is the God that he claims to be, that we can know in times like this, this is not meaningless. And what we need is someone that can believe for us, that can sit with us and remind us what we know to be true, as Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that for those who have been called according to his purpose, for those who know him, he is working out all things for good. All things, not just the easy things, the awful things. How do we know the awful things? Because the cross is the best example that we have. He is working out all things for good. So that's a lot. Sympathy, support, supernatural comfort. I'm going to start to wrap up now. I've gone a little bit longer than I normally do, but I felt like it was worth it for these things. Let me just say this. Um, We're about to baptize these boys. We're excited. And let me just add this. As we baptize these beautiful children, Thomas, my son, as we look at them in just a couple of minutes, I want you to remember this as they're up here. As we look at these boys, we should count on the fact that Lord willing, if God gives them many days, at some point, they're going to suffer. Because that's life. We live in a broken world. That is not the world it's supposed to be. They're going to suffer. And at the same time, we can know that as we seek to raise them as disciples, and when I say we, not just the parents, godparents or sponsors, we as a church family who all have a role in this, as we raise them and as we hope and pray that as they go off, wherever they grow up and continue life, they'll, be remain, they'll remain, remain connected to a church family like this one, seeking to live out the Bible's teaching on community like this. We know as long as they do that, they will have access to all the things that we were just talking about. All these things. Other people will be these things for them. They are being called to be these things for other people. Okay, the, the presence of the people of God, they'll have that. The provision 
of the people of God. And then the, the kind of comfort that they can offer that only comes from above. They're going to have all these things. If you remember here at St. Peter's, this is, this is who God's continuing to call us to be for one another. If you're part of another church family and you're visiting today, especially for these baptisms, we pray this is who your church family is for you. And if you're not part of a church family and if you're looking for a church, you can know there's room for you here too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for calling us to one another in the way that you carry us in those moments. We praise you for that. And Lord, we, we praise you for what we're about to do with these boys as they're baptized. And Lord, as we pray and ask that they would be followers of you all the days of their lives so that no matter what they go through, they can know that you are trustworthy and that you are here. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.